my name is Athena Kavlenyu. I'm a stand-up comedian, podcaster, writer, and all kinds of other things. Also a mum, which is lovely. But what that does do, it, ta- it takes you away from adult conversation quite a lot. Even when you're talking to other parents, you don't have adult conversation. When you talk to other parents, you talk like a five-year-old. It's something. It's a very weird thing that happens, but it happens. So what I do to uh, to manage that is I invite my friends around to keep my company. Uh, we all know we can't do this. We've not been able to do it for a while. I have no idea what the lockdown rules are anymore. I've no idea. Maybe we can do it, maybe we can't, but at the moment I'm playing it safe, so I'm doing it online. So, welcome. Somebody who I've wanted to come on for a little while now, and I'm just getting, I'm working through my list, I'm working through my list. Welcome to Keeping Athena the Company, Sanjit Shudha. Hello. Hello. How, how are you? Are you? <laughs> oh, God. You're both dying to know how, how each other is. You first. You first. You're the, you have, you've been busy. Haven't you? Yeah, I really have. Work has been full on. Even though theatres aren't open, work is actually incredibly busy. Because, weirdly, I suppose, because theatres not open, people are just desperate for something, whether it's conversation or project discussing projects that they've got in their minds or, or half-drafted on paper, loads of stuff like that. So there's lots and lots of conversations going on. And it's all by Zoom, which I hate. <laughs> well, let's talk about what you do, first of all, because you work in a theatre and you work for Talawa. Yeah. Um, and I want everybody to know who doesn't know what you do and what Talawa stands for. OK, so Talawa is um, uh, the UK's primary black-led theatre company. That's how it describes itself. Um, it's uh, work really sort of all about making work with black artists and black theatre creatives. Um, uh developing and promoting and and, and producing the work of uh, black British playwrights as well. Um, So it's not just about the old classics, it's also about a lot of new work. Um, And it tours nationally across the UK, obviously not at the moment, Um, but that's it in a nutshell. They've been around for 34 years as well, should mention that. I'm I'm older than Talawa. Are you? So am I. <laughs> so, uh, but that's I mean that's a long time to be to be practicing, and yeah. I, I can relate to what you're saying about it being a busy time, even though we're not able to practice what, what we do, because mm. everything is embryonic. Mm. You know, so there's a lot of people wiping the slate clean and thinking, okay, what can we do? What can we do next? And yeah. How can we make sure we start 21, 2021 better? Are there any projects that we can we can talk about now? Or well, we've got something coming up in autumn called, uh, which is almost here, um, Tales from the Frontline. So um, I'm not sure exactly when it's going to be. We're still discussing when it's going live, but uh, it's an online experience. So it'll be available at Talawa.com, um, most probably around about October time, I imagine. What really interests me about generally organizations and institutions that have already been black led or basically non-white led is that they're doing or they've been doing a lot of work that is now coming to the forefront now in terms of sort of black lives matter and people talking a lot about race do you think the practice that that Talawa does has, has changed in any way because of black lives matter or is it exhausting that people are thirsty for something that you've been provided so long it's a bit of both you know i think obviously because of the situation the weirdness of covid and all of that we can't kind of throw open the doors and do a piece of work on the stage and 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 you know deliver it in that way in front of a live audience um and then we thought well because of distancing you can't have actors too close together you can't have live musicians you can't you know the list of things you can't do is longer than the list of things you can do let's put it that way um 
so we just thought, okay, we'll go online and we'll, 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 we'll do something that's in the digital space. And so many of the artists that we work with are multidisciplinary. You're multidisciplinary. You do comedy, you do podcasts, you do, you know, writing, you do, I mean, there's no end to your talents. And that's true of a lot of the artists that we work with as well. Um, so you'll get people who are visual artists and uh, uh, sound designers, as well as being actors and or writers for the stage. So, and I think there's something about that mix. It's almost like an alchemy. And I think there's also something about the psychology of being the outsiders. Because let's face it, Tallawa as a black-led theatre company is perennially the outsider in the world of British theatre, which is very white. Um, so I think the combination of us feeling like outsiders, our artists feeling like outsiders, definitely Black Lives Matter and having to kind of almost as it were refocus on the family because we were all being, you know, well, I don't know about you, but it wasn't, wasn't exactly a, a walk in the park, was it? The last few months of my- um, I I found this particular wave of... Um, Black Lives Matter and just general anti-racism awareness mm. really frustrating more than I've ever found it because it of it, it was so loud. Mm. I've never seen so much um, very correct anti-racism discourse be amplified as much as it has. Mm. But I've also never seen as much resistance to it, mm. and it's made me change my position into. I think we need to stop teaching people about the basics. Like they're probably not going to get it. Like if you don't get it by now, you're probably never going to get it. And I've changed my um, viewpoint from one of which, you know, if you see something you don't like, call it out. If there's someone who says something silly, tell them it's silly to kind of let people let, let the, let white people deal with it. Mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, this is not our problem to fix absolutely, anymore. Absolutely, absolutely. Not many of our responsibility to, to you know, yesterday uh, there was a dude called Femi who's, a, as it happens, made his name campaigning against Brexit. He didn't make his name in anti-racism, but because yeah. he's black, people are using him as a, as a commentator. I mean, he's happy to do that. So he's he's volunteered to do this. That's his, that's his prerogative. But he's on TV, daytime TV, debating with Nigel Farage about, about racism yeah and I just this is a charade isn't it yeah. this is an absolute charade so we've gone through all of we've done all this work you know we spent a few months saying read these books follow these social media accounts here are some examples of our lived experiences you know these are the reasons why things need to change these are the reasons why you might be complicit without realizing you're complicit etc etc and then that happens yeah. and it's like it's like we're not not only are we not being listened to we're being listened to but we're being ignored oh my god we're being we're being gaslighted not just ignored we're being actively gaslighted so it's almost like i want to disengage from anything that isn't progressive yeah and anything that is willfully sort of ignorant so for example a few, when a, a, a few months ago now or a few weeks ago a, a guy crowdfunded a plane to run an all lives matter <laughs> the oh, banner God, yeah, know, yeah. across the football match and like a lot of people were sort of you know making a point of saying well this is great he's like i would just ignore something like that now before whilst like that might animate me mm. now i just sort of think there's no talking to that man mm-hmm there's no talking to him. There's nothing you could say to him to make him understand why what he's done is 
is racist and ignorant um, and there's no contextual reason for it and he's got no reason to feel threatened by Black Lives Matter. So it's almost like, let's leave that guy behind and let's leave the guys who, you know, crowdfunding, they gave him money to do that yeah. behind. Let's leave Absolutely. Well, you know, people like that just have no soul. It's as simple as that. They, have no they soul. literally have yeah. no soul. No soul. There's nothing there. It's not just sort of being stupid as in actively thick, and that's a choice sometimes. Some people do choose to be actively thick. Um, but it's it's more than that. It's about having no heart, having no kind of empathy, having no wisdom. It's just a, a whole combination of things that to me kind of add up as you know, soul. I think it's a function of white supremacy to be constantly asking white people to change. Yeah. That the idea that we have this infinite amount of time to wait for change to happen is a function of white supremacy because yeah. no, 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 white people don't wait. They just they just start sending bombs in. Yeah, you know, if they don't like somebody. They they, they do something about it. Yeah. even if people they don't like is it's if it, even if it's a highly unjustified emotion, you know, they they will do something about it. They will invade. Yeah. They will they will invent rules to prevent. Um, those you know whoever they don't like succeeding uh, but when it's the other way around it's like we have to wait forever there's that really famous James Baldwin quote which is like well how much time do you need do you need my great-grandfather's time do you need my grandfather's time do you need my time is it yeah. my grandfather's time is it my great-grandfather's time tell me how long so yeah. at least we can have an end date on this yeah. and that's that's how I feel now I always the way I feel about it now is and the way I describe it is like one of my favorite sitcoms of all time is Fraser yeah it's a great sitcom. And the reason why I say it's great is it's got no black people in it and I still like it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, no, nobody who isn't white is in that sitcom. I can't even think of anybody who's in that sitcom. Maybe in the background as supporting artists. But it's still a great show and I watched it from the beginning until its end and I watched repeats. Um, and I kind of want to exist in a world where I can sit down and just write a Frasier. I don't want to write a response to racism. Yeah. I don't want to write something that's quote unquote diverse. Yeah. Want to write a really funny show? Yeah, and, and 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 why can't why why shouldn't you? You know, absolutely, why shouldn't you? Because um, you know, white white writers are writing black characters or brown characters or or, or, or cishet um, people are writing queer characters all the time, and that's okay. Exactly. So I, and I, so I guess what I'm saying is I want creative freedom now. Yeah, I don't want the bare minimum of you know, being able to wake up and not see a black person die on social media, being able to wake up and not see someone go viral because they've been um, they've been harassed by the police yeah. um, and wake up and see statistics that, again, prove very clearly that we are unfairly treated. Um, you know, I, I just want to, I want creative, full creative freedom. I don't want to be in a room because I'm I'm the bammy. Mm. <laughs> you know? mm. Oh God, that term, Jesus. It's, it's it's weird. what what do you think about that term? It's ridiculous. It's 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 basically putting everyone who's do you know this is the problem for me with that term because you've got um 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 black and minority ethnics. That's that's B A M E or Bami or you know however you want to kind of it's it's a stupid it's a stupid term, but what it does is it lumps together everyone who is not white everyone so all of that diversity all of those viewpoints all of those um souls you know and different ways of seeing things and and and, and being are all just lumped together into one category and that allows the category white to be the kind of the normal the center around which everything else revolves um and it allows 
whiteness to have not just control, but also to have endless expressions of diversity and complexity, which are denied to this group, BAME. So that's kind of going back to what you were saying about, you know, just wanting to write something just for the hell of it, because it's funny or it's good or it's interesting to you, rather than having to write a black character or a series of black characters or a series of situations involving black characters. Um, and that's what BAMI does. It, it, it forces into just us into just one tiny little category. Um, and I just think it's, 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 it's deliberate. It's, all, it's, it's, it's an act of white supremacy writ large. It's completely deliberate, and this, this, it's also something worse than deliberate. It's now something that's been adopted by people without realising what it deliberately does, if that makes sense. So yeah. it's, used, it's used in ignorance. So pe- some people say and use the term BAMI thinking that it's progressive of them, mm. oh, you know, and it, it, it erases people's identity. There's a sketch show called Famalam, which is oh, yeah. Mark- as a, as a black sketch show. And uh, it recently put out a sketch. This isn't the first time it's put out a controversial sketch, but the sketch is basically um, Jamaican people doing Countdown. And it basically the joke of the sketch is that there were, the Jamaicans act like, quote unquote, stereotypical Jamaicans. Yeah. Right? Now, the yeah. defense of the of this sketch by the BBC, well, black people made the show. So, you know, we'll defend it. They're allowed to say that. And it's the idea that, well, they're all black, so it's one experience, isn't it? Right? They yeah. can talk. They can make that, and it's not problematic. And I, I found that even more racist. The idea that we don't hold black people to the same standards we're, we're trying to hold non-black people to, because well, we're all the same. Yeah. Like no way. Like listen to people. People who are Jamaican, and I'm not Jamaican. Yeah. I'm from the Caribbean, but I'm not Jamaican. Are saying we can't. You know, this is not for us. Yeah. You got it wrong here. Yeah. And rather than be open to that feedback, it's like, well, it's a black show. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That's really, that's really regressive. I mean, actually. completely, completely. I remember being somebody calling me a slumdog millionaire when that film came out, because in their minds, all Indian people were slumdog millionaires. And they didn't, they didn't think that that term in and of itself might actually be really offensive. <laughs> and never mind to a posho like me. I mean, for fuck's sake. Oh, God. I'm sorry. I just swore. Sorry. Oh, that's. I was gonna. Say, I thought you were gonna apologise for calling yourself a posho. Um, but, <laughs> like, no, no, I have. I have poshos on this podcast. It's fine. I, 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 I believe in diversity. Actually, I have friends of all of all classes because I've become a posho in my life. Have I, have I ticked your posho box now? Exactly. Yeah, I've got a list. <laughs> Oh my god! Have you seen the um, all the furore about Argos at the moment? I did see it. I yes, I did see it, um, and it again a really good example of somebody we've got to leave behind. Yeah. All the people who are kicking off our fast, leave them behind. There's no, there's no talking to them. No. Not, you know, if they're not gonna, you know, if, if they want black people as their audience, well, I'm not gonna go and, and shop there. And it's just, it's like where have black people been shopping. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, exactly. You've been watching white family after white family buy their sh- and you know, like it's Argos. <laughs> you know, you know. Do you know? The funny thing is, I don't think Argos give a toss whether they shop there or not. Anyway, that's how you know a company's doing really well when when you see black people in the adverts. They, that you you got profits. Yeah. <laughs> you're making money. You don't have to worry about your profit margins. Um, and I'm glad you, because of that, you're you're diversifying your, you know, your representation. But yeah, the fury. 
some half of me wants to think it's a minimal amount of people creating a maximum amount of fuss, but the other half of me knows that that's not true. It's there's a real sizable chunk of the population that doesn't like to see people who aren't white anywhere. Yes, absolutely. You know, there's no there's no mistake in that. I mean, we had an election yeah. where people were very given a very clear choice to make. And people talk about Facebook and algorithms and fake news and blah, 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 and the Daily Mail and all this stuff. But, like, people have brains. Yeah. You know, they're not, they're not zombies. It wasn't Facebook that went and cast that ballot. It wasn't the Daily Mail that went and cast that ballot. It was a person. They went, they actively went to the polling booth and they voted that way. But again, it's a function of white supremacy to have sympathy mm. for, for these individuals. It's like, well, it's not them, it's the Russians. It's like, well, the Russians can't vote. And then there's that, that phrase, this is, this is like BAME, this is the other one that really, really annoys me, the white working class. Oh, God. What, because yeah. like, only white people can be working class? And it, the idea that the white working class aren't, aren't allies to... Right. to um, non-white people is bizarre. We we are more likely to live amongst each other. Yeah, the working class. Exactly. If you're white working class, you're probably more likely to have people in your circles. You're probably more likely to be married to someone yeah. who isn't white. Not that that doesn't make you racist, obviously, but it's just the idea of multiculturalism is, I think, that's a much realer idea. Yeah. The lower you go down down the class system. Absolutely. Where you see things more racist is when you go up the class system. Definitely. The suburbs. I mean, God, we're seeing that writ large in America now, aren't we? Where the kind of the um the, the, the cities, the inner cities where, where there is the politics is more progressive, the populations are more mixed, are really kind of just just worlds apart from, from these kind of all white suburbs, which are just fixed in some kind of warped version of the 1950s in their heads it's just like oh god it's 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 frightening it's really frightening is there anything to look forward to <laughs> i know it's getting a bit bleak isn't it that's a question is there so, there's got to be something to look forward to Do you know i think there is i think there's a lot to look forward to because this is one of the things that's been really interesting about um um the whole kind of covid um process um and all the artists that we've been speaking to, all of the work that we've been seeing people developing, we've seen theatre people migrating to online, all of that kind of stuff. What we are seeing, I think, is is a different kind of sustainable model where people are making the work that they want to make. They're not, certainly in the world of theatre, they're not asking buildings, you know, they're not going to... I don't know, I'm just going to name a name, the Birmingham Rep or something like that, and kind of going, can you help me make this? It's like, no, sod it. They're just making it. And then they're just out there. They're talking to TV companies. They're promoting it themselves online. I think there's been that real sense that actually the old production models of of of, of content creation are actually kaput. So just make whatever you want to make, however you want to make it, and take it from there. And I think there's something about the values inherent in that in, and, and the values that people have a chance to then express, which are going to be really, really interesting as we go, you know, over the course of the next two to three years, certainly. Because what's to stop a company like Argos looking at a piece of work made by, I don't know, a collective of of, of um, um, diverse black theatre makers arguably um um from from different so family but like more diverse than that right you know more mixed than that um 
what's to stop them turning around and kind of going fabulous brilliant we love that we're going to sponsor that particular piece of work and it's actually all delivered entirely by social media there's nothing to stop that happening i feel positive about my personally i've never been busier so um i will say that as much as as much as the diversity agenda frustrates me because i don't think we really know what diversity means i think what we want is a quality of opportunity Mm. which is Diversity. I think that if you give everyone the same opportunities, a place will be naturally diverse. Yeah. Uh, hard concept, guys. But um, what happens is if you just have a room and you just stick a brown person in it, that's not quite. That's not really diversity. That's not, not really. And it's probably the yeah. brown person that you know. Um, and it's probably somewhat. You know, I'm not suggesting that person isn't qualified, but you're just taking a system that you use to give your white friends work, and you're just applying it to other people, and that's not a quality of opportunity. No. And then it becomes incumbent on that black or brown person in the room to then do the have to do the work for you to bring their people into the room and to and to amplify the voice of people around them. But it shouldn't be their job to do that. They're not recruiting. Oh my god, having to represent. Oh my god. I honestly feel that I should do that. I honestly do because I'm someone possibly because I have a you know a foot very firmly in the door of the comedy industry I have benefited from people drastically going oh my god we need a black person in this room mm. and I've been that person and it's now up to me to say by the way have you do you know who these people are mm. they could do just as good a job as I'm doing mm. um, and whilst I think that's a good thing for me to do like these people are not hidden in caves underground like they're there working yeah, yeah. and they representation but if you if you just want to reach out for the person you know the, the closest person to hand then you're probably not as committed to diversity as as you think you are it's it's nice to work especially as a stand-up comedian who, where you know the comedy world is probably not going to recover from covid if i'm honest mm. stand-up scene is going to recover i think it's too working class for the government to do anything about it um i think the venues um we don't have very powerful wealthy venues in the uk mm. we've got the stand we've got the comedy store we've got the glee club the rest of them are just very independent yeah. very fly by night you know we run a gig here's your cash go home yeah and i don't know if they'll survive covid so that stand-up world's going to shrink so i feel really happy that i can write for a living which is and great. that takes time as well because you've got you need time to think and you need time to kind of process everything that's going on around you. And Christ knows there's so much going on at the moment as well. On the one hand, we're all stuck at home. But at the same time, there's a million things happening really fast out there. Um, and it takes it's exhausting just trying to process all of that and then turn it into something, especially to try and turn it into something funny. Yeah, being funny is hard in, at this time, I think. Yeah. Partly because most people are going through very similar things, so it's hard to find unique things to talk about. But secondly, because it doesn't feel important anymore. I know some people, some some entertainers took the view that well, everyone needs laughter, so let me create content that makes people laugh. But my thing was, I don't know if if I'm using my time on this planet wisely enough. <laughs> you know, it's, I got I got thinking oh. deeply. Is that I just thought there's there's all every every everything that's happening is is what I do important anymore and it goes back to that thing I don't it's like I don't have the luxury of sitting down and writing a phrase I have to think about you know my people and, and what's happening in, in this world yeah and then I got to the conclusion that it's not it's not for me to fix anymore we've tried to fix it and it hasn't worked we've been trying for centuries yeah exactly that and it hasn't it hasn't worked what whilst I'm talking to you I want to talk about where we both come from 
Oh, yes. We both have something in common, is that we're both from the Indian diaspora. Yes. I haven't decided how to say it. I am Guyanese Indian, or Kenyan Indian. Yeah. And I've got a theory that people from the Indian diaspora are the best cooks. Do you know, I I agree. (laughs) (laughs) I I just just think the cuisine that has evolved, that mixes, because I think Indian cuisine, along with Italian cuisine, as it happens, but definitely Indian cuisine is the best cuisine on the planet. But when that's mixed with other stuff, it's like supercharged. Yeah. It's supercharged food. Yeah. Um, and I know you love food and you, you write about it beautifully on your on your blog. I'm obsessed about food, with food. I'm obsessed with food. Do you know, I mean, I think part of it is also because I'm from the, um, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of from the Punjabi um, um, Indian diaspora as well. Um, so we're, we're, we're all sort of coming from kind of long lines of, 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 of farmers and landholders. So, so farming, the land, food, it all just kind of goes together, right? So... Um, and there are a few large people in my family. I don't think I inherited the large gene, or not certainly not the super large gene, but um, certainly over the last few months I've got larger. Let's put it that way. Um, but it's there, is, and I think there's something also about the diaspora experience because because you 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 kind of take the food culture and which is adapted to the things that grow in that particular part of the world. So arguably, in my case, Punjab, North India. Um, but then you you know, you land up in Kenya, so suddenly you're encountering things like um, um, maize and uh, yams and, um, uh, you know, just just sort of pulses and grains and and, um, greens that you just wouldn't normally encounter. So you have to kind of adapt what you're making or or the way that you make it in order to suit the flavours that are there. So that changes it again. Then, you know, when we moved to the UK, um, there was a whole sort of my mum had this thing about kind of going, oh, I can't use um, fenugreek and I can't use asafoetida and I can't use, you know, this, that and the other because the smell's too pungent. And the neighbours all complain. Um, and we were all like, fuck the neighbours. <laughs> but mum was like, no, no. You know, so we kind of like lived with relatively bland food for a few months. Um, and then there was this like open rebellion and the ending, my mum couldn't stand it. She was like, right, that's it. So out came the chilies, out came the fenugreek, out came the asafoetida. Everything got like super spiced again. And it was gorgeous and it was lovely. And that was using kind of seasonal British ingredients, which you could get in the 70s something weird happened in the 80s and the 90s and the noughties um food just kind of became really standardized definitely in the last decade i think Uh, yeah i think there's been a real americanization of kind of british food culture and it's kind of and it's actually robbed britain of its food culture because i think there was a british food culture yes there was there was when you watch the British Bake Off, you see it. You see all these recipes and these traditions that we've had. And yeah. a lot of we've kind of gone down the American route of food food supply. Oh, my stuff. God. If there's like another bloody food market that pops up with six identical looking white guys with beards making burgers, I will, <laughs> I will do something appalling. I mean, it's like, stop already. Yeah, we get it. You make burgers, but you, you can do more than that. But they're ostrich burgers, you know, and you just you know, it's still it's burger. Like, you, you can you can do more than that, you know. Why, you know, if if you're from Scouse, make Scouse or or, or Lancashire hot pot or, you know, um um amazing kind of curd tarts from Yorkshire and all that kind of thing. You know, there 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 are so many things that that are 
part of, do you know i think it's also to do with the with the um erosion of working class communities because i think a lot of working class communities preserved that food culture yeah i totally agree like when my mum first came here she made a real effort to learn how to cook all that stuff mm-hmm. like loads of pies and loads of desserts and she brought all the Mary Berry cookbooks and, and learned how to do quite traditional British things mm. because she was in a working class environment and that's that's the food she saw around her. But I think if you were to come into the UK now, you'd probably find it hard to understand, okay, well, if I'm here, you want us to assimilate so bad, well, what what should we eat? I think there's a real contradiction with kind of the political message that comes out with kind of, you know, immigrants should assimilate and they should be more British but then no one's done more to erode kind of what's actually beautiful about Britishness mm. there is beauty about Britishness it was you know as outside of the colonization mm. and racism, there was there was there was culture here yeah and but no one's done more to erode that than the people who were saying that people who come here should adopt it absolutely absolutely and I think it, and, and again you know that's probably where a lot of the anger comes from you know and 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 just you know the sight of black people or the sight of brown people is just like enough to kind of ignite these 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 embers and turn them into flames because actually there's nothing else left for those people yeah not not easily accessible anyway no Uh, because you go to the supermarket and it's just all all the big british companies have been bought by american ones you can't buy milk anymore it's all patriotic what have we got? Yeah, you're just left with sort of bacon, which is mm. Danish, and chips. <laughs> it's all mm. that's, is all that's left. And then you have to, when you buy fish and chips, you're buying them from a Turkish guy. So, oh my God, exactly that. We had um, down here in um, in Southeast London. There was this crowdfunded hipster fish and chip shop that opened up, um, attached to um, a, a bar and cafe called London Particular. Um, and it was very shushy, and they all kind of had these little sort of beer battered, you know, fish and chips and all that kind of thing. But like the fish, the, por- the fish portions were tiny, right? And you you paid something like fifteen quid per portion for like child portions, mm. basically. Um, and it was all very nice, but it was like Christ, it used to cost fifteen quid, and that'd be like two huge portions is what we used to get and you know from the from the old-fashioned chippy that closed down anyway this place rapidly became unsustainable certainly like about you know when 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 the kind of the, the big recession hit um i think it was about 2010 they just they just kind of folded basically uh or maybe it was 2012 2012 they lasted a little while then folded um and hey presto wave not not wave of immigration i should say you know but 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 changes in the makeup of immigration into the area it's becoming a bit more turkish but maybe a little less vietnamese that kind of thing um and suddenly boom fish and chips the most amazing fish and chips priced at seven pounds fifty a portion exactly. and they're big and I again you get so much by the end of it you feel really sick because yeah. you feel yeah. comfortable after you've had fish like proper fish and chips you should always like yeah. oh my god that's it for the day i'm retired that's, the that's point. exactly the point all that all that batter all that grease but the beautiful thing about fish and chips is like beneath all the beneath all the grease is something like beautifully healthy britain mm. is like i think beneath all of the crap there's probably like a nice soul here uh, and there's yeah. a nice soul here there's an there's a publicly funded nhs you know there's some yeah. kind of democracy that is sort of functioning it's a beautiful country you can get anywhere yeah. got off at a station randomly and you'll be thrown by something beautiful so beneath 
the grease yeah. and the and the crust and the batter. There is a nice soft succulent bit of cod <laughs> or whatever yeah. or place or whatever takes your fancy, but it's very hard to get to. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think that's the bit. It's it's you know the other thing is um veganism, you know, now and I don't mean this in, in, a, in a kind of a negative sense. You know, I've got nothing against vegans. Some of my best friends are <laughs> vegans. I'm not. But hey, I'm like, judge not. Let people do what they want to do. Um, and I respect why people are doing it. And actually, there's, it's true. You know, we should we should eat less meat or, or at least eat you know, higher quality, more responsibly kind of, you know, um, um, sourced and, and, and grown um, stuff. But I see so many, not not all, but quite a few of my friends who've kind of adopted veganism as a as as as, as a life choice um or as a food choice and they buy all of this ready-made stuff from supermarkets i'm like have you any idea how much processing that crap's gone through oh content there's a we have to really educate people about just because there's no meat in it doesn't mean it's good if right? you go from a kind of a diet that includes kind of meat and fish and dairy and you just go to a diet where you eat highly processed stuff you're probably health-wise doing yourself more damage massively you know you're having lots of unnatural food and chemicals but yeah environmental impact of of eating um all that stuff and also you're probably getting ripped off you're probably paying a lot of money for food that is probably quite cheaply made some of of this sort of fake meat stuff um to be fair like i'm gonna i'm not gonna lie i buy linda mccartney sausages i think they're amazing however they're the only ones i will buy but generally speaking some of the stuff is like it's so overpriced and it, yeah. and it yeah. maintains the idea that veganism is like a middle class, upper class thing, not something yeah. that anybody can access should they should they want to make a, a choice for the environment or for that. Uh, anyway, the thing that annoys me is how veganism is really white, but the world, most of the, most vegans in this world or most people who have a cuisine that is kind of well matched are not white. Caribbean yeah. food, you know, Jamaican food, Guyanese food, you know, you take out the meat, right? As well, you, it's, you're fine. We're the ones eating the pulses yeah. and all the lentils um, and all the stews, such and whatever. And so the rebranding of veganism is something that is uh, native to kind of whiteness, is garbage. It's absolute garbage. But also, I think in a way that, you know, the, the growth in veganism has, has allowed a lot of. Um, food cultures from other parts of the world to find expression and to find a kind of almost like a mainstream or or, or kind of like a hip um, um, kind of cachet. Because normally in the past, if you kind of said, you know, if you said Caribbean food, people would just think jerk chicken, uh, that was it, right? That was was the thought that kind of came into most people's heads. Um, And certainly not an idea that they would associate with, with veganism. Whereas now when you say, Caribbean food people are immediately thinking okay bean stews plantain you know different sort of vegetables and stuff but also um um um, proteins that are that are plant derived um and it's like oh wow that's really hip that's really unusual I've never had that before I've only ever had jerk chicken and suddenly you're like ah now you get it yeah you're right there's an opportunity there's an opportunity there and actually now you say it most of the the kind of especially in South London, there were lots of kind of like mm. black and particularly Caribbean places that are vegan. That have opened yeah. up. None in North London, sadly. You know, North London's fine, but if you want a good takeaway, don't, don't order yeah. one. You have to go to South. I think the food offering is better in South London. I think it is. And I think, I think it's, 
probably to do with the fact that actually property is a bit cheaper this side of the road. Yes, if you want to open a restaurant around here, like you're going to have yeah. to just serve crappy food because the rest of the money is going on your rent. But in right. South London, there are way more opportunities to open like a cafe or a small eatery or, or whatever and, and get yourself going. Uh, why did I start that thing? Yeah, but yeah, I just noticed that in, in South London, there's loads of like vegan, um, vegan. Uh, Everywhere. Cafe. Yeah. everywhere and and loads of places like um a lot of the kind of the what i describe as the kind of the new um style of of um indian um places so not the old kind of ones with the you know the velvet walls and the the hideous tablecloths and stuff not not those places but um um the new places are all openly advertising themselves as vegan oh and we do a meat dish on the side if you want it you know, it's 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 like the whole game has changed, um, and that's really good because actually, you know, exactly as you were saying, the rest of that is what the rest of the world eats. Actually, it is largely vegan, um, so this isn't anything new. Um, but what we all make tastes nicer than anything that comes out of a pack. I don't have time to cook. I'm working too hard. Standard. Yeah. If you have, I don't have time Same. to be in the kitchen for you know because I can be in the kitchen for an hour a day, an hour a day, and I can make enough for two or three days. And 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 there is also something about cooking. I mean, for me, and I, you know, I've written about this in in on on my blog and various other places. But um, if it, it we were talking earlier about not not always having time to think or sometimes having to process complexity, um, that's what cooking does for me. It oh, makes me stop and think. you cook. I think whilst I cook, because whilst I'm chopping onions and garlic and ginger and then kind of like, you know, taking the kind of the rough bits of the coriander and chopping up the stalks and you know, doing all of that kind of prep stuff, the sort of the sous chef stuff where you're just preparing all the ingredients, um, your, your mind's on kind of automatic because, I mean, you don't have to think that hard when you're chopping stuff. You're just chopping stuff, right? You know, just, the only thing you've got to do is you know, keep your fingers away from the knife <laughs> that's, 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 that's as hard as it gets you know um and I guess in a way that kind of means that there's a larger part of your brain that is then just kind of left to process everything else that's that's been a bit crap or a bit weird or a bit strange or that you just haven't quite reconciled um as yet and I think cooking is really useful for that um and I think sometimes people who are scared of cooking, and I've really noticed this, or people that, that, that don't cook, quite often are also the people that aren't that good at confronting complex emotions or feelings. Oh, or what a breakthrough. Now I'm going to process, after this, after we've finished recording, I'm going to think about all the people who I know who don't cook. That has the potential to be really damning. But, but it's a theory. It's a theory. It's a theory. What aren't you confronting whilst you're not getting in the kitchen? Um, <laughs> that's really I did want to talk to you about one mm. more thing, and that is um, your beautiful mm. Instagram account, which documents your travels. <laughs> do, do you have a rail card or something? Like, how do you, what's going on? How can you afford this? The train fares in this country are, are, are ridiculous. You get, you get about, don't you? We do. We do. But you know what it is? It's, it, I mean, we have a car, and I know that, you know, we're not supposed to, 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 to rely on the combustion engine but it's it's the anti it's the thing that's kept me going throughout the last six months in all honesty um and so and we also work four days a week so fridays are the day when whilst everyone else is working 
we can just escape. So we do, we just escape to the countryside or we kind of go and see something or do something. I don't know. Um, and then we always have this 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 thought in our heads, you know, towards the end of the day, we're always like, no, 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 there's got to be a bonus trip. So you've kind of like got to go slightly out of your way by 45 minutes or, you know, 30 miles or whatever um, and go and see something else and then head home. So it quite often just that one day turns into like two or three amazing experiences, um, which when you doc- document them on Instagram just looks gobsmacking but actually all I've done is go to Hastings and then stop somewhere else and then come back everyone's been talking about staycations that's the word of the of the summer right like you've got to stay home and go abroad and stuff and I used yeah. to cycle a lot so I don't know if you know this but I used to I used to so you were driving to these places I used to ride to these places I used to ride I've ridden to Whitstable I've ridden yeah. to Hastings actually wow I've ridden to Brighton it's quite a popular one Oxford blah 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 so I've been quite by the time you've got there, there's, there's nothing oh to do. God. It's taking you six hours to get there, right? So it's not like you can go and explore a castle or pitch strawberries. Yeah. But but when you cycle, it's it's the getting there that you love, the scenery, yeah. all that stuff. Um, and I don't do that so much these yeah. days due to yeah. you know with the baby and work and stuff. Um, but it makes me yours accounts is one of the ones yeah. that reminds me how much I used to like getting out of London. Oh, it's so good for the soul. Where should I go this weekend? If I'm free, where should I go? Let's put you on the spot. Oh, oh, where should you go? Where should you go? Where should you go? Oh, Mersey Island in Essex. Mersey Island? Yeah, okay, just... I love it already. When you first said Mersey, I was like, can we go somewhere closer, please? Yeah, no, not not Liverpool, no. Um, Mersey Island, M-E-R-S-E-A oh, Mersey. Island. Okay. It is, it is gorgeous it's um a real hidden gem um and you it's i mean you, you, it's it's quite a drive to kind of get there but if you're in north or northeast london um you shouldn't have a problem getting there because it's should it's much more easily reached um than it is from us down south um and uh the island itself just has these stunning i mean i kid you not gobsmackingly stunning um edwardian and victorian houses which are all a bit ramshackle they're kind of loved but they're a bit ramshackle and then some of them have been discovered and 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 you've kind of got the footballers wives thing going on you know they've done up just that little bit too much and 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 they've kind of got leds all over them and that kind of thing so which is kind of morbidly fascinating on one level um and then they've got gorgeous old-fashioned fish and chip shops old churches and the whole island is kind of like barely above sea level so there's there's something really precarious and marginal about the whole space it could you know it just takes one storm surge and it could like boom it could be gone forever but somehow it's managed to survive um and to reach it you have to you have to kind of go drive along this 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 causeway and there are times where you can't because it gets flooded so it's it's a magical sort of place because it's you kind of get the feeling that at any moment it could disappear or change so basically go there now before yeah. it doesn't exist because of climate change yeah. caused by people all the time i've written it down because we're going to go me, me, the little one, and the other half, we're going to go because we need to go places. We've been stuck in house all day. Poor, uh, we take her to Tesco's and she's ecstatic. Do you know? <laughs> all that stimulation, <laughs> you know? 
I really need to get her out. And it's peaceful. It's peaceful, but it's also really, really lovely. And it's not up itself. Well, it's Essex, Mm. isn't it? It's never going to up itself. It's Essex. That's about as down to earth as you can get. Exactly. And and I think there's also something about, you know, we were talking about how... um, you know, there is there is a soul you know in people and sometimes you just have to kind of i don't know that it, sometimes we struggle to find it um but 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 it is there and i think there is something about that part of the world there is a bit of soul and maybe it comes from the very fact that everyone there kind of knows that their lives are all a bit precarious and you know one big wave and it could all be over so they're all much nicer to each other I think there's something to be learned in that because our lives are all precarious yeah. we all okay fine we don't live at sea level and we don't have the threat of erosion or flooding but generally speaking like life is precarious as covid is, is yeah, showing us right now yeah. and it, we don't need to have the threat on our doorstep to to learn how to be civil absolutely absolutely which feels like a nice feels like a nice sentiment to 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 end this really which feels sad because i i want to talk to you more thank it's you for coming to keep my company a delight. it's been delightful um don't it's been edifying do not forget to claim your plantain voucher at any I time. Will. Any time, you know, middle of the day, middle of the night, you're coming back from a very long drive um, down from Mer- from Merseyside. Just knock on the, my door. There's always plantain in my house. <laughs> that voucher is yours. I might I might not be happy. You won't know, <laughs> get plantain with a smile. If you kind of <laughs> the voucher, the voucher. I can't deny you. But um, <laughs> um, so anytime, you are welcome. Um, and it's been a pleasure. Thank it's been you. a delight. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. I really enjoyed right. it. Thank you. So that was Sanjit Shudha. Thank you, Sanjit, for coming on to my podcast. I hope you enjoyed that chat. Like I said, come around for plantain anytime because I owe you a plate. Sanjit's amazing. He's a real credit to the creative community. He's worked in the arts for a long time and he is a wonderful cook. So my kind of person really loves the arts, loves to cook. So he's he's great. Please do read his writing on his blog. I will post a link to it in the description of this podcast. His blog's great. He writes for all kinds of things and he does include a few of his recipes as well i recommend you try them out this man knows his way around a kitchen guys thank you for listening thank you for supporting if you like this podcast you know what to do comment like share whatever all the usual stuff um pass it on to a friend i'm sure they'd appreciate hearing this too thank you for listening and we'll catch up next time